Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. In this weekly show, we go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for our Sunday D&D game. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to help me out, you can do so by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish, going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish and signing up. Uh, you will help support shows like this and you'll get access to all kinds of interesting and exclusive material. I am also running a Kickstarter this month. And it is for that book right over there, The Lazy DM's Companion. Uh, the Kickstarter has been going, been doing very, very well. I'm very excited for it. You can sign up. Uh, as little as 10 bucks gets you the PDF of The Lazy DM Companion. But you can also get not only the Companion, but also Return of the Lazy, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and The Lazy DM's Workbook in print as well, uh, shipped directly to your door. First time we're doing a full print run of all three books. So very exciting stuff. There's also, even if you don't want to buy it, if you don't want to back it, there is a 17-page preview of all kinds of interesting material you can go download and use in your game today. The Lazy DM's Companion is a book of guidelines and inspirational generators to help you prepare and run your 5e games. If you're familiar with the work I do on this show, if you're familiar with the work that I do uh, in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master and the Lazy DM's workbook, you will, I think, certainly understand what I've got here and I hope really enjoy it. So I'm very excited for that. It's been going very well. I'm very excited and I cannot wait to get that book in your hand. So I'll help you. I hope you'll uh, help me out and help yourself out and back the Kickstarter and get some great stuff. Boy, oh boy, fun stuff to talk about today. They fought last game. So we're going to talk about what it's like to fight oral. They also came back and found out that 10 towns is on fire. Big things going on. Big tier two things going on. We were just talking about the shifts between tier one and tier two. And we are now firmly in tier two. Oh, where's the Kickstarter link? Good question. Right there. And the Kickstarter link for those who are watching the show on YouTube or listening on the podcast, the links to the Kickstarter and everything else are down in the show notes below. Yeah. So we were just talking on the Lazy DM talk show. Uh, about how the tiers of play shift the total scope of a game that the difference between tier one and tier two is a big jump tier two to three and three to four these they're major escalate like powers of 10 escalation in threat levels right tier one is hey we lost our cart full of full of ore that we used or full of all the ingots that we used to make to make metal goods could you go deal with that there's some goblins out there that stole it that's a tier one problem a tier two problem is, you know, our whole village is under threat, right? By a, a great big mechanical horror that has been built by the Duergar. That's a threat. Tier three is we got God problems. You know, the whole world is under threat. So those escalations of the tiers of threat, I think are really, it's important to have a handle on those. And I think we've, I'm now seeing it in my, I am now seeing it in my Rhyme of the Frostmaiden game. So let's take a look at where things went last game. It was their last session on solstice and grimskull and then we did a very quick cut to them coming to we did a very quick cut of them coming to 10 towns so we're gonna figure that but let's take a look at the let's look at the outline so many things to talk about today really interesting things that i think matter a lot for people who are running rhyme of the frost main because some things worked really really well so far everything has been fine and some things that didn't go so well so back on the third candle had so we talk about these tier three tier four threats candle saw the equivalent of like four different tier three threats. He saw that Orcus has resurrected an elder brain of mind flayers, right? That is a big problem. They saw the coming of the Githyanki armada that basically the Lich Queen is sending an armada of Githyanki to Toril because the Illithids have this hold on the planet. 
Thrun could be escaping from his sarcophagus, their, their sarcophagus down underneath the city of Yethrin. And Oral, Oral's frost could be so bad it could actually freeze up Waterdeep. So Candle, who had died and returned, saw all of these things in his deathly visions, right? And saw that stuff happen. Those are kind of escalations of like, hey, guys, we got problems that are big. And some of these are bigger than us, right? Like we're not going to be able to handle all these. I don't, most of them I don't think are going to be handled in this campaign at all, right? So could be some interesting stuff there. So that's where we started off. The scenes where they continued to crawl through the city of Grimskull, and then they faced the trials. Those, that, that actually happened. We're going to talk about the trials. Uh, and then they returned it. So I have all of these scenes, right? I guess this is like basically the rest of the campaign, right? I got the, the whole campaign outline here. And three of these things occurred, right? We can turn these into checkboxes. What did that do? Turn into to-dos. And we went boop. Look at that. Wow, it did them all. So they explored Grimskull. Uh, they went, they, they did not go upstairs, so they didn't deal with the rock. So that means I can use the rock for a, for a, later, a later threat. They did go, they met the big walrus. They enjoyed the walrus sliding around on the ice. They thought that was a lot of fun. There's a great big walrus down there who has been awakened. Where's the NPC? I didn't even put him in here, right? But in the, in the adventure, if we, if we go to the Grimskull section, that is an area G. Ukuma, the giant walrus, right? was uh, dropping around on, you know, sliding around in the ice in the bottom, which is kind of goofy, but it, it adds some kind of fun to it. And so then we could use a little bit more whimsy in our Frost Maiden game. So, so that, that definitely was a fun thing. And he had some information that he could tell. He had the information that was here. That was all nice and in the adventure. So that worked out just fine. We also had the Trials of Oral. So if you recall, I decided to change how I did the Trials of Oral. And my changes worked really, really well. The trial, so the way I've changed the trials, the trials in the book are basically you're teleported to Reged tribes and you have to like do terrible things. And I really didn't like them, right? I thought the timing was weird. It's like, how are these things real? Except they only happen when the characters actually make these things. Like what would have happened if, you know, the, the Frost Druids came and did them later? What would have occurred, right? So the idea that the trials exist so that Oral can test her followers. I like that idea. The idea that you need to complete the trials in order to get access to the Codicil of the White. That was kind of cool. But what the trials were, I wanted to change. And what occurred to me that I've been talking about on this show for the past few weeks was, can we use this to really tug on the backgrounds of the characters? Like what if the trials basically takes a character and puts them like the hard, the hardest moment they would have to face and makes them make a choice. And the choice has to be the kind of choice Oral would want you to make if you were a follower of Oral. Giving up your people, giving up your, your past, giving up your information, right? Giving up your life for Oral is really the answer. Being willing to sacrifice everything for Oral is the answer. But also you're in this realistic situation where you're likely where you're likely to do that. Like that that really matters, right? So the characters who did it, Shadowhawk did it, Ilda did it, Gore did it, and Candle did it. Perrin did not and Auken wasn't uh, the player who plays Auken wasn't there. So Shadow did it first and he I I don't remember which one of these I think it was Cruelty or preservation. I can't remember which door he went to. It might've been preservation. And essentially, so my, my, my idea for it, and kind of what I'm recommending is that you use these four terms, cruelty, endurance, isolation, and preservation as sort of an improvisational switch in your head that when you're describing the, the situation that the character is going to have to face, you put an angle on it that, that leads them to that thing. And in my opinion, like I didn't have to be that 
uptight about it, right? I didn't, I didn't have to be that close to it. So that idea of using the, those four words as sort of improvisational guides, I think can work really well, or you can kind of ignore them and the players aren't going to, aren't going to know, right? So Shadowhawk went in there and he found that he had been captured by the drow and they were dissecting him. And he had a choice of either letting himself be dissected and giving himself over to the drow or be fully becoming a mind flayer in the collective of the mind flayers. And he's like, I'll become a mind flayer. And his head exploded and it had visions of him killing and like stunning and devouring the, the, the matron mother of house Zalaren and like breaking out and then calling out to all the other mind flayers to come to Menza Baranza. It was really pretty epic, right? It was a really cool, it was a really cool thing. So he enjoyed that a lot. It was pretty neat. What did it have to do with oral? Not a lot. That's okay. It was still a cool scene. It basically showed that he's willing to give himself up to the symbiote, i.e. he's willing to give himself up to oral, right? Ilda went in. I, I don't remember. I think she picked isolation, and she went in and she essentially had to give up her new tribe of the Goliaths that had adopted her and let them freeze to death and instead go over and embrace Oral, who she hates. And she took Oral's hands, but first she cut her own hand. And when she did, Thrun-like blood started to flow up Oral and Oral kind of recoiled at this, right? And it showed that like Ilda's got like a Thrun thing going on that, that bypassed and sort of channeled its way in. But, but she also realized that, that basically what she discovered is that she will do anything to thwart Oral. She will give up anything to thwart Oral. And that became clear to her, right? And what's kind of neat about the trials is like they're sort of visions, right, that the characters have, but they make these choices and they have to live with the choice that they make and know that they would have made that choice, right? And that to me is the, the psychological fun of the trial. Isn't It's not about DCs. It's not about mechanics. It's not about all this stuff. It's about a character, a player having to make a choice for their character that their character would know that changes the character forever, even though it didn't result in what they, uh, what they saw in their vision. Gore, Gore's Gore went in there and he saw that he had this massive caravan uh, that the, the Wan Alcazar associates, all this stuff going on, all this stuff. And he saw Torga who he had, you know, she had frozen to death in, in, in revels end. Right. And Torga told him because of, because he kind of turned her in and Torga said, if you want to, if you want to join us, right? You have to give up your name. You have to say it. And when you say it, it will be the last, it will be the last time you ever hang on to it. You will lose your family forever. And it said, say your name. And he's like, what do you mean? It says, say your true name. And he said, gray castle. And the other players are like, you're a gray castle. Cause like he had another character that was a gray castle, like two adventures back. Right. So they're like, Gore's, Gore's the, the son of, of the other character in that other game. Oh my God. Right. And so they, they had this big reveal of Gore, which was really cool. Cause that was like his secret. He's a secret noble. Right. But then there's also like, is he willing to give up the gray castle name? Like in his heart, he gave it up, right? He gave up the gray castle name. He may not go back and become a member of the gray castles and, and lead this big, you know, merchant mercantile business. He gave it up and he'd be willing to give it up in order to taste oral. Right? It was pro proving that he'd be giving it up. The most heart tugging was candle. Candle found himself in the chamber of the Xanathar and the Xanathar said, I can help you 
there's the codicil of the white right over there. And it was like down a hallway and it's at the end of the hallway. So I can help you get there, but there's something in the way. There's two things in the way. And it was Candle's parents and they're standing there and they're like, Candle, help us. And Xanathar says, I can take care of them for you, but you have to, you have to ask me to do it. And he's like, I need you to do it. I need you to get me there. And then he, the Xanathar looks at his parents and then looks back and says, which one? Which one's first? And he looked at him and said, my mother. And a disintegration ray from the Xanathar hit his mother and turned her into ash. And then and he turned and the other, he says, now the other. And he hits him with a finger of death and killed his father. And, you know, and then he went down and it was just heartbreaking, right? Just, he just, he had, he ordered the Xanathar to kill his parents, right? After saving them from the Xanathar. And he's had all the, and he's the character who died last time and had all these visions of these apocalyptic events. So like Candle is in a serious, he's got some serious dark stuff going on. And I talked to him later and I'm like, oh, that was cool. And he's like, oh, it was awesome. Right. And I was like, what does that mean for Candle? Like he's going to see his parents again, right? He's going to go back and they're safe and sound in Icewind Dale. You know, what's it going to be like for him to see them again after knowing that in his heart he was willing to have the Xanathar disintegrate them just so he could get this thing, right? That he's willing to to save the endless night, to stop the endless night. He's willing to give up everything. So those trials worked really well. I was very happy with how they went. It's like the end of the book. Yeah, like, yeah, right. The book of the end of 1984. Give it to Julia, right? Do it to Julia. So really, really Good stuff. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it again for my Wednesday group. My Wednesday group is now just on the way to, to Solstice and Grimskull. And I'm going to do the same thing. And I, you have to really get like a, a lot of good background in the characters and really try to get stuff that would be interesting. But like, how are they, what sacrifices are they willing to make? Right. And are they willing to make them? And they have to make them if they want to get the codicil. So that worked really well. And then they got the codicil. And then I kind of fast forwarded pretty quickly. Right. Cause I was like, I want to get, I don't want to have like a big, travel they got to seventh level oh well hang on a minute so now we get to the other part which is they went into the chamber and they got the codicil of the white and who should be there in the chamber but oral in her third form the crystalline form and turns out the crystalline form is not a great form to have stuck inside of a big room and I should not have been surprised by this but I but I was and I had to change some stuff I will so I will accept uh, a good deal of blame for not, I will accept a good deal of blame for not running this monster by putting it in a, a, the wrong place. And the key is it can fly, right? It, it flies 30 feet and can hover. This is important for a couple of reasons. It is important because it's multi-attack is a ranged spell attack, which means if anybody is next to it, this is a disadvantage. And its polar ray is also a disadvantage when it uses action surges, right? Or not action surge, action surge, when it uses legendary actions, which means pretty much everything this third form can do requires that it is not adjacent to an enemy. It can do some other stuff. It does this, so Blizzard's Veil, uh, 30 foot radius sphere on itself, aura within the sphere is heavily obscured so you can't see it. Sphere moves with aura, effect lasts until aura drops to zero hit points or until she chooses it. So she can put this veil around herself. And I don't think it goes, or until our constant, so you can break her concentration. So the problem with this one is like, she has an AC of 19 already. And then you put this up and now it's 19 with advantage. That's boring. First of all, it doesn't do anything. It just makes her hard to see. And it's boring, right? The area within the sphere is heavily obscured. So if you go into the sphere, I think it actually negates, oh, she has 
blind sight. So she sees where she has blind sight and true sight. She, she can see you. You can't see her, which means she has advantage on her attacks and you have disadvantage, which means she could hit you with the polar ray. It's just not with advantage anymore. But you would now have disadvantage to hit her. This probably makes up for the fact that she's got like vulnerability to thunder damage, right? So, and Snark Knight says, good time to ignore the range disadvantage rule. Yes, it is. And that's what I did, right? But it would have been a little better if you, this was like a, you know, a dexterity based, uh, a, a, dex, a dex saving throw or something like that. So it's more like a ray of a beholder instead of a ranged attack. So this can be very effective when it can fly. If it's stuck in a room, it can't fly and get out of range. But it's also could be, I, I think even if you're running it as flying, it could be pretty lame. It could be a very frustrating enemy to face to face it also has this aura right where it does an aura but it's only 10 feet so it's anybody that's close to it right and she can increase it for two actions so she can make it 20 feet you know 20 damage 30 damage 40 damage this will destroy characters who don't have cold resist right this is really hard against cold resist and then you have this like she can blind people around her which also makes them a disadvantage so she has two different things that just make it hard to fight and then this thing which could so i guess like in the right tactics is probably pretty effective it could also be pretty lame right it could be pretty it could be just frustrating to fight so i i just played around a lot with it i i let her make her polar ray attacks without disadvantage i i did increase the aura once to 20 points at which point it started really eating people up and then it was destroyed and then it worked so it was okay like i ran it okay but it, i had to do a lot of manipulation of this stat block during the game to really make it run kind of you know to a, a you are destroying one of the three forms of oral that should matter and not make it totally frustrating and boring so oh the other thing is they, they kept doing pop tarting they kept like coming out from around a corner shooting and then going back so that she couldn't hit him with a polar ray which means she was just slamming on like the two characters that weren't you know the two characters who, who, who did not have total cover she was lay, laying in on them constantly i oh i also gave her and this is something i would give her as an action is a misty step i, I let her teleport so that she could move away from people and not provoke because the other thing is she has no way of getting away from i guess the blizzard's veil she could throw this up and then move but why wouldn't i think a misty step is just easier right just give her a teleport let her teleport 30 feet as a as a legendary action and she goes and then boom and she can hit so i gave her that and that was a lot better Right. So we did that. So then they left Grimskull. They, I, I, I hand waved. They made their way out of Solstice. They got back to the main continent. They roared back. And then they look. And sure enough, they see over the, over the ridge, they see that 10 towns is on fire. And that was where it is. So now I spent 21 minutes just talking about the last game. And I've only got 39 minutes to actually prep the current session. But I think this is pretty straightforward. So I'm running straight from chapter. If I was going to bash the adventure again which i've tended to do one of my favorite things about this adventure i say that ironically is the adventure flow chart right chapter one here's the flow chart chapter one chapter two chapter three chapter four chapter five chapter six really that's the flow chart of the adventure because the way it's been running for me is they skipped chapter three completely they went from chapter one to chapter two to chapter five back to chapter four that flow chart is completely useless it's it's totally useless because it's linear and then it's useless because that's not actually how it runs so i don't know why they bought it with a flow chart at all anyway i now need to prep for today's game so we're gonna do a generate session template and it is 10 october sunday frost maiden we will review the characters i think one or two players aren't here today which could be hard because we're gonna find a 
dragon. But we're going to see they are level seven now, which is great. We have Ilda. Ilda is a barbarian. She is a half Goliath, half elf barbarian whose family is tied in with the cult of Thrun, her adopted family, her mother, who's her natural mother, and her father, who's not really her father, are tied in with the cult of Thrun, known as the, the Knights of the Black Sword. And but she's discovering a lot about herself, which is really neat. Shadowhawk is a half mind flayer, half drow, who a sorcerer who is being hunted by the Knight's Kiss. And maybe it's time to bring the Knight's the Knight's Kiss would be kind of a fun thing to throw in the middle of this right now. Auken Dawncaller is a goal. I think is Auken. I think Auken is not. I think the player cannot make this week as well. He is a Goliath fighter, member of the Worm Doom Crag Goliaths. Gorwan Alcazar is the secret heir to the Greycastle family, a noble's family, and a trickster, a cleric of the of the trickster god. Perrin Fat Rabbit is a halfling ranger conspiracy theorist who is sure that conspiracy conspiracies are going on all over the place. And Candle in the Dark is a former hireling of the Xanathar who is a tabaxi who is willing to have his parents murdered by the Xanathar in order to save the Endless Night. Neat stuff. So those are the characters in today's game. Probably the one thing that might be interesting from there again. So if we think about like, how are those character backgrounds going to come into play? We have a couple things. So potential scenes could be Knight's Kiss. They could show up. The Knight's Kiss are the assassins that are working for House Zalaren that are trying to capture Shadowhawk to bring him back to Menzo Baranzin. So we have the Knight's Kiss. That could be a fun thing to throw in there. Candle's Parents. That could be fun. The Citadel of the Black Sword is preserved. That uh, So that's like a secret and clue, right? The Shardalon drag does not attack the Citadel of the Black Sword. Why? Any other, is there, if we look at the other characters, one of the reasons we look at the characters first is to kind of get their their backgrounds into our head and then we can tug on those backgrounds. Anything with Perrin. I don't think we have anything with Perrin. I don't think there's anything with Gore. I don't think there's anything with Auken. The Knight's Kisser for Shadowhawk and then the Black Sword. So I don't, yeah, I don't, that's, that's kind of three, three character hooks we can sort of draw into today's game. Knight, the Knight's Kiss could show up. Candle's parents uh, might come and say, oh, you're here. And now hug him. And he's like, I murdered you in my dreams. So that could be there. Let us. What other scenes? So I think, oh, I, you know, we should have our strong start, right? Now my camera's off again because I'm not so slouchy. I'm never going to get that camera in the right position. And I still got this itch in my nose. Today's strong start, I think, will be they are miles away from 10 towns. They're seeing it in the distance. Right. And I think we're going to have uh, Valen Harple show up and offers them a ride on her undead direwolf sleds for a price. So I think she'll be a fun character to, to start off with and to introduce. Valen Harple is one of the members of the, she's one of the members of the Arcane Brotherhood. And she is one of the, she is one of the more manipulative ones of the Arcane Brotherhood. She she will actually use the characters. She's she's very interested in getting the characters to get to, and she wants the power. And so does Avarice, her rival. Those are two members of the Arcane Brotherhood that are still in play. So I think that that will be a cool. I think that that will be a cool angle. So she will show up, 
and offer to take them to the dragon very quickly so they can stop. Like two or three more towns might be destroyed if she doesn't if she doesn't help them get there. So I think that that will be a good strong start. What else? Then, of course, the Shardalon dragon. And what town would that be in? We could have it. We could have it go to care to to care Dineval. Right, that might be kind of fun. Skip, skip. I was going to have it in East Haven, but maybe it moves on to Cardinaval, and that way we can introduce a new town that they haven't been to either. Right, I think that this might be, yeah. So maybe it's kind of making its way up there, and I think where it says the care, we're gonna we're gonna just call that that's the citadel, you know. And where would they face it? They could face it outside. Uh, where, where would be a good a good place for them to battle it in this in this area? If they could battle it near the docks. The, the the ruined watchtower would be pretty great, and 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 atop the frozen lake, right? So I think like this area, the the ruined watchtower and the frozen lake would make that a uh, a fantastic occasion, right? And we have crumbling watchtower, the frozen lake. And what is another burning buildings? He doesn't really set them on fire, right? He hits them with radiant damage. They could still burn though, right? They kind of blow apart and then they could still be, you know, they, there could still be these other things. I think that would be cool. Let's see. And I think they're going to get, I think the Knight's Kiss is going to hit them as soon as the dragon is done. I think we're going to have like this series of, oh yeah. So I think on their way, they're going to get hit by some Duergar. You know, they're good. So the dragon didn't come alone. It flew out here, but the Duergar have come here too. And I think they might have to face the dragon and Zardarok. Maybe he's riding it. That wouldn't be so crazy, right? So they face some Duergar on the way. They face the Shardalon dragon and Zardarok, Sunblight. Maybe they face the, the, the sun that they didn't, Durst, right? Is it Durst? Am I getting that name wrong? So Nildar, I think, was dealt with, but Dearth is still there. So they're gonna they're gonna face Dearth, Sunblight, and the Shardalon Dragon. This is gonna warm them up. It's gonna be a lot of fighting, right? And then they face the Shardalon Dragon and Zardarok, and then after that's destroyed, then the Knight's Kiss shows up and goes for goes for Shadowhawk. Then Candle's parents show up. Who is their patron? Their patron is what's her name? Oh God, I can't remember. Let's go to the NPCs. Oh my God, I can't remember. I can't remember her name. It's been so long. There were so many cool NPCs in this one that that, that came up. Was Danica? No, Danica wasn't theirs. Uh, Hill, Hlin, right? Hlin Trollbane. It's time for her to come back. They lose track of their patron. So Hlin comes back. There could be a lot of different things. Like Aemon Melisant might show up. There's a lot of different potential NPCs that could show up. And then they have to make their next choices, right? Their next choice. I think they're heading to the Regged Glacier. And the, we have downtime heading to the Regged Glacier and the uh, Caves of Hunger. So this might be their last real downtime before probably the conclusion of the campaign, right? But I think this is going to take, this is going to take like the, the majority of the, of the event. So uh, secrets and clues, what do we, what do we have? We know that the Caves of Hunger are blocked by a huge wall of a huge wall of ice. No typical magic can break through. The giants have a have a horn 
that could break through at supposedly buried at Jarlmoot. The characters, however, already possess an item capable of breaking through the Summer Star. So they don't really need to go to the Jarlmoot. Avarice seeks the power held under Yethrin and will stop at nothing to get it. The same is true about Valen. Oh, she just craftier about it. All right, so you have two members of the Arcane Brotherhood. Zardarok and his son both came to Ten Towns to destroy the city. Zardarok received his messages from Deep, but in reality, from his priest to Deep Dura. In reality, it was Father uh, Lack, Father Limac, the caller of Thrun. So that could be pretty cool, right? This one dude, he's one of my favorite evil NPCs. Look at this guy. Look at that dude, right? He's an evil priest to an ancient, to an undead, to a, to an ancient elder evil. He's probably a lich. I think he's an elven lich that's lives. So there's the whole spoilers. There's the whole thing is full of spoilers, right? In Yethrin, there is a demi lich wandering around and it's kind of lame. And so I'm going to change the demi lich for an actual lich. And that lich is going to be Father Limac. I think Father Limac has been sort of, you know, going in and out of Yethrin with the goal of bringing the Chosen to release Thrun. And I think that that Chosen is Ilda. I think that's where I'm going to go. And the destruction of 10 towns is like a good way of pushing, you know, pushing into that position. How many is that? Eight? I got two more. So what other secrets could they learn? These would be things that they could learn from all kinds of different people. Eamon believed that Ilda is a chosen of Thrun, baptized by Father Limac at the Standing Stones in, baptized by Father Limac at the Standing Stones of Dugan's Hole. Oh, and the other big secret, which was revealed as part of the, one of the secrets that was revealed during the trials is that Eamon, murdered Aachen and Ilda father by dropping an avalanche on his head on him. That can make for a fun, that can make for a, a fun reveal because, because I think he's going to show up here. Like, I think we're going to have like a whole series of like, you know, <laughs> a fun, fun 10 townsy sort of stuff needs to happen. So that's great. Fantastic locations. We've got the ruined watchtower. That's where probably a lot of things are going to occur. It couldn't hurt to have like another interesting location, you know, nearby where they might face some other guys. So obsidian necrotic tree of the tribe of the tiger. I don't like that, but what about an obsidian necrotic tree of Thrun that had grown out of the ground? Right, it just clawed its way. His Thrun's influence is growing, and an a, a obsidian tree grew out of the ice. That sounds cool. So we've got that NPCs. Holy cow, the NPCs. We got Amon. We've got who's the other, the other Maliciant? Uh, her mother, who she's not Lena. Lena Maliciant is probably there. Hlyn is probably there. We have we have who's the other Sunlight? Durst, Dern, 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 D
We have Valen. We have Janth. A lot of NPCs. Holy cow. We have Janth Awar. So those, that's, you know, I think that's like everybody. Oh, there's Captain Imdra. Yeah, so that's a good, that's a good amount. So the big pile of NPCs that could show up in these, in these scenes. Oh, and we have his parents. I don't know that his parents, I don't have, I don't have cards for his parents. So I think we're going to have to, you know, let's, let's just take a look. Let's see if, I think Candle might have given me, I think the player gave me information about his parents. Hot as fire and crescent moon. Okay. So let's make some NPC cards here. Father's, Candle's father, hot as fire. All right. And then we'll just go to the database view. It's easier to do that. And what was the other one? Hot as fire and I already forgot. Crescent moon. Kendall's mother. I can delete this guy. And let's get some pictures. Da -da. Tabaxi portrait. Hey, I can see where he got his. That's a good one. Copy that one. That will be crescent moon. And then that one looks pretty badass. I kind of like that guy. Oh, that's even better with that guy. He doesn't look hot as fire, though, does he? That's not bad. I'll go with that guy. All right, so we got his parents. We murdered. Now go back to our notes. Do, 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 do. Hot as fire and crescent moon. Monsters. So we're going to start off with a bunch of Duergar, right? I'm not going to bother to link all these. There's some really interesting Duergar. So maybe we'll, yeah, maybe we'll not just use regular Duergar because there's a lot of really cool ones. The Despot is this CR 12, 119 hit point. This is the one that's in a giant metal suit. It's pretty cool, but I don't think they need more of those. So I think we'll go with, are the Soul Blades? They can go invisible. They mark. I think we're going to do some Soul Blades. We have, we could have a Mind Master too. Look at that guy. Yeah. He's all, all the creepy Duergar came out. We need Zardarok, of course. So now we hit the problem of the the Shardalon Dragon. And I complained about the stat block for Oral. And I'm going to complain about the Shardalon Dragon stat block too. Because it, look at it, right? Look at that picture in there. Why isn't it legendary? It's not a legendary creature, you know? So now you're going to make me make it legendary? What a pain in the ass. How can it not be legendary? That's ridiculous, right? And why? It's only CR 11? You know, weird stuff. So I'm thinking of reskinning another dragon. Because I think it's easier than doing this. I think we'll just take a dragon and reskin it. They are seventh level. There's probably four or five of them. So CR 14-ish, 14, 15, 16, that's like the highest CR, you know, until they're deadly. And that's that's pretty high, right? I can never find anything in here. Monsters, there we go. So let's look at dragons. So we have an adult black. Let's take a look at the adult black. So you can you could reskin an adult black dragon pretty well and replace acid with radiant. That would be pretty good, right? Like it has this line of radiant damage. I think this would work pretty well. And and I don't think it's particularly, like, is there anything in here that doesn't work? So it has a frightful presence. And I think instead of fright, it's gonna do madness, right? I think that that would work. It's a Shardalon madness. And I think it'll be really hard. 
so I think we're gonna probably grab that guy, right? And re just reskinning an ancient, uh, an adult black dragon. Do we think a group of level seven characters are gonna have trouble with this? So seven hit point wise, its breath weapon will take out a character in a single hit. It will not kill a character in a single hit, but it could take them out because seven, if you, the average hit points of a seventh level character is seven times seven, 49 plus three, 52, just about, it'll, it'll just knock out a character, right? So that's pretty hard. Tail attack does 15 damage on a hit. That's its legendary. And it can use frightful presence, three attacks, bite and two claws. The bite is 17 is, is that's a lot, 21 points, claws 13 each. So it's a lot, it, it's gonna take some serious, it's gonna take some serious work, but I think we could tweak it. I could also get rid of the extra like radiant damage on this and just 17 on a bite and 13s on the claws. I think that that, I think that that would work, but I, I like, like this is pretty hard. It's, it's three challenge ratings higher than a, Shardalon Dragon, but they are seventh level. So I'm not, I think that that's going to be okay. We're going to, we're going to do that. And I like that. I love the, the, the adult black dragon is a better stat block than the Shardalon Dragon. I mean, so why would it not be like, you, again, you remember I was talking about banish before you just banish it, right? If you get it and you get it saving throw to suck, it's charisma. That's charisma is pretty good. And it has plus eight on charisma save. So I guess you're not banishing it. Right. You know, but like, I don't know. It, it seems like you could just get this sucker. I don't know why it's not legendary. Like it's got the same AC. Oh, I don't know what am I looking at? I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong one. I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> I'm sitting here complaining about the stat block I just chose to use. That's its charisma. Ne negative four, right? Minus four, which means if you can't, oh, that is ridiculous. It is easily one banish will get rid of this thing so easily, right? And it has magic resistance, but that's just advantage and that doesn't really help. Yeah, terrible stat block. So it's a little harder than this, right? I mean, the 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 adult black is harder than this, but I think it's probably about right. I think so. Now we have the knight's kiss. So let's talk about drow, right? What kind of drow monsters we got? Uh, drow shadow blade is C oh wow CR eleven. Could one of them be a shadow blade? Two attacks with a shadow sword. If either hits the target of Cube of Darkness, that's pretty nasty. That's pretty hard for, for Knight's Kiss. What else we got? Inquisitor as a spellcaster. Ooh, big one. Has a death lamp. That's probably too high for a single monster. I could always use a good old Drow Mage. That's not so bad. Drow Assassin. That might be better. This, the Assassin's probably better than the Shadow Blade, but the Shadow Blade's really pretty cool. Is the Drow Assassin essentially just an assassin? Yeah, it's just an assassin. I mean, it's really hard. I think I'd rather use the Shadow Blade. Elite Warrior is pretty good. This is from the and they probably have a team, right? They have their Wetwork team, which are just pretty straightforward Drow, probably. Drow Mate Your Mother, Favorite Consort, Inquisitor, Priest of Loth, Shadow Blade, Summoner Variant, House Captain, Spore Servant. Where's just Drow? Is the first one, did I skip it? Yeah, good old Drow. So probably a bunch of regular drow. I guess like is Elite Warrior the the next one up? There's no sort of like I need something like between an Elite Warrior. What's the Elite Warrior like? I guess they probably have some Elite Warriors. They're really, they have. I guess we'll just do some normal drow. Do, do, do. So we'll figure that out. Treasure. So they probably could pick up a relic. Yes, relics are always good. Something that could help them with this dragon would be really nice. 
Evard's Black Tentacles, Crown of Madness, Decorated Jewelry Box of Mistra that casts Evard Black Tentacles, Oily Medallion of Joaquin that casts Crown of Madness, Cracked Fan of the Illithids that casts Reverse Grab. That's pretty crazy. No. Prismatic. Do we want a prismatic spray? Yeah, that one would be that one would be pretty cool. What if it was the an Illithid fan, an Illithid fan that cast prismatic spray one time? That's pretty crazy. Something that gives radiant resistance. Is there a spell that you that can give you radiant resistance? Let's search spell names. Let's see resistance spells. Let's see. So the resistance spell does not really help. Protection from energy is a third level spell, but it does not do radiant, but that might not be bad. I, I like that idea. That's a good idea, Scipio. Uh, Scipio, you're the best. Let's make an item. Uh, smooth disc of Sune that gives protection, that offers protection from radiant for one hour. That'd be useful. They just got a bunch of magic items on Solstice, so I don't think I need to do any other permanent magic items. So I think I think they're all set. So I'm gonna sort of build the encounters, or I'm not I'm not like planning out which encounters. I'm not planning out which encounters, like what 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 number of monsters we're gonna have for any given encounter yet. I'll I'll worry about that when I actually run the game. But I think I've got everything else. So I'll keep my my marching order here. I may have to tune a fair bit depending on which players show up. So we'll see. But I think I've got a lot going on. So it's going to be a crazy, crazy game. Just action. I mean, I hope they like combat because they're going to have a lot of combat in this game. And But then there'll be some fun downtime, some some fun other scenes. And then it'll be kind of be like their their final foray into Ten Towns. And then they're heading off to the, they're heading off to the uh, Caves of Hunger. And that's the final, sort of the final conclusion as they go there. And then they go down into the thing and they seal up through. So that would be really cool. I took a look at that at Yethrin and the Caves of Hunger. They're both really big. So I, I think it's still, even though there's only like two major sections of the book left to run, they're n I don't think they're going to be particularly fast. We will see. And I'm looking forward to running because they're like nice traditional dungeon crawls. And I like nice traditional dungeon crawls. Those are pretty easy for me to run. We have hit one hour on the nose and I think I'm all set. How do I feel? All right, let's stop for a minute and think, how do I feel about today's game? So I feel pretty good. I think, you know, what would I like to do? It would be nice to go get a Albert Rodeo map of a ruined tower on an icy land i might spend a little bit of time trying to put something like that together so that they have like a place where we can actually have a couple of battles i wouldn't mind grabbing a couple of encounter maps that i could throw now by rodeo in order to to do that but we'll see and yeah and other than that we're just going to go there's just a lot of material but i feel like i've got the material that i need in my notes here to be able to run that game i think it'll be fine so i want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today it is always a great pleasure to spend my sunday mornings chatting about DD and prepping for my game i want to thank everybody for coming with special thanks again to the patrons of sly flourish for helping put all this together thanks to all of you for supporting the kickstarter the lazy dms companion kickstarter i'll do one more link for that and yeah, and we'll see where things go. And next Sunday, we will talk all about it. So I want to thank everybody for coming. Have a great day and get out there and play some D&D. &D.